Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org forward slash resources. Let me read you this. You don't need to turn here. Well, we're going to turn to plenty of other places, but I want to just read out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. This word, last past a week, a week ago, Pastor Willie shared about stay in the word. Was that a good word? Amen. Took the feather out. No tickling ears. Well, we're going to stay true to that today, I believe. And so he says here, if you're a believer that knows that this is the inerrant word of God, Paul tells his spiritual son, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong and teach us to do what is right. It corrects us when we're wrong. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen? So, turn with me now to... Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. A sobering red-letter set of scriptures that Jesus delivers just before he's actually going to be arrested and crucified. And now it's estimated he spent at least three years preparing. So you have a, a pretty strong following of the disciples at this point. He is prepared many of the miracles they've seen. They've witnessed them themselves. He sent out the 12. He sent out the 72. The dead are being raised. The blind are seen. The, demon are being, the demons are being cast out and people set free. And then he preaches a very uh, sobering set of scriptures in Matthew 25, which is part of the equipping. Let's pick up in, in uh, verse 14. So Matthew 25, 14. I'm gonna, I have a parallel Bible. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation, but I'm going to also reference the King James. King James is the, is the word-for-word word translation from the 1600s. The New Living is the thought-for-thought thought translation. It's really good to look at both. Um, so we're going to read from the New Living Translation, verse 14 of Matthew 25. Again. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. His money. I want to underline that. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities he then left, left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver worked and earned and invested and earned five more. Verse 17, the servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest 
and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'm going to give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came, and he said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate, and I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and I gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant, give it to the one who has 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are even given, even more will be given, and they'll have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When the Son of Man comes in glory, all the angels with him, he will sit upon the glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. He'll separate some people. Shepherds will separate sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will reply, Lord, we, we didn't ever see you hungry or feed you or thirsty or give you anything to drink or a stranger or hospitality shown or naked, give you clothing. When, when did you see and when were you sick in prison and visit you? The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did one of the least of these to my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away, you who are cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, you didn't invite me in your home. I was naked, you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. Then they said, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked in prison and not help you? And he will say, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you refuse to help me. 
and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go to eternal life. God, I pray that the sobering reality of this truth will capture us, convict us, not condemn us. Because your word says there's no condemning to those who are in Christ. But says you continue to work with us in Philippians 1.6 until the day you come. So I pray for greater revelation. I pray for the understanding of what is coming. And that one day we will all stand before him in that separation of the sheep and the goats. God, I pray that this will be a sheep congregation. This will be a sheep nation. God, I pray for your covering over all that we do. Give us your wisdom. Convict us with your word that is true. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is full of living power. And it's able to cut between the soulish realm. Your mind, your will, your emotions. It cuts right through that to reveal the truth, to equips us, and then reveals the spirit truth. Spirit of truth, I ask you to come and transform us. So that even this message today will be one that was a marker in our growth in the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. We've really been picking this apart. You know, there's where he says in that, I've titled this message, if you just pull out, if you haven't got an outline, raise your hand, we'll get you one. Um, okay, um, Javier, could you, there you go, we'll go, Holly, thank you. Just leave them up, we'll take a look. When you come in in the morning, uh, on Sunday mornings, if you, I know a lot, go right to the cafe. We have this, the outlines usually right there on the credenza. You can pick those up. Um, I've titled the message this morning, Well Done, My Good and Faithful Servant. So if you're still in that scripture, that's out of Matthew 25, verse 21 and 23. Keep your hands up for a moment if you need one. I want you to see that the words that Jesus uses, if you look at the Hebrew and the Greek and you take them apart, there's a difference between a good servant and a faithful servant and a good and faithful servant. So if you look at the, the context of, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. A good servant is someone who, bless you, a, uh, if you look at when, when, a per, when a servant is doing the work of servanthood, even if it's a paid servant, if they do it well, they do it exactly how they've been instructed, they follow, you might say, that's a really, really good worker. That one is just a good, good worker. Now, they may not be very faithful. They may lay out of work. They may kind of, you know, have a reason. So they're not always faithful. When they're there, they're good. But, you know, they're not always faithful. But now a good and faithful servant is one who is there, does the work well. They're also faithful. They're reliable. They, get, they have a heart towards the business they're serving, towards the church they're serving, towards the country they're serving. They're good and they're faithful. So I think when Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant, he meant what he said. And so when we look at this one who, the, the wicked and, and slothful, the lazy, wicked servant, who had a built, remember, they're all servants in the master's house. He goes on a long trip. Jesus said, I gathered all of y'all. I'm going away. I'll be back in a few thousand years, right? In the meantime, work until I come. Advance the kingdom, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, right? Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the great commission. 
right? So he tells his servants do it, but this slothful servant, he says, listen to the attitude. I knew you were a harsh servant, and all the stuff you gather in your kingdom, you didn't really plant that. Somebody else planted it, and you, you got the harvest of it. See, this servant doesn't understand the love of God, doesn't understand the goodness of God, even corrects them and says, if you knew I was wicked and harsh, at least, maybe in, he says, I was afraid. So I took all my talent, I buried it. Now, he comes and says, here, the one you gave me, I'm giving it back to you with no interest. There's something about advancement of the kingdom that um, is just part of the command. Go into all the world and make the disciples of all men. Now, I want to get a little, bring this really, really home. Turn the page on the back of your outline. Now, if you did not understand the context of other scriptures, now he's speaking to both Jew and Gentile in Matthew 25. In the Jewish custom, so the Jewish believers would have known the Torah. They would have known the, the Old Testament, much of it anyway, if they had been instructed to train. So if you remember in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, we talked about all Scripture, not just New Testament, but all Scripture is given as inspiration from God, right? So Malachi, chapter 3, speaks of tithes and offerings. Remember where he says, Take these cursed ones who are the sheep. They're cursed. I mean, wow, how would you like the Son of God say you're one of the cursed goats? You ever try to herd goats? I mean, I, they're annoying. I'm just telling you. They, they don't listen. <laughs> Some of you had goats. I, mm, I had an experience as a young boy with goats, always in the house, eating the toilet paper, going up on the bed, standing there, never staying out. The kids would leave a door open. The, the goat would come in, run up the stairs, I'm telling you, they, goats are just unreasonable. You had a goat. It wasn't me, right? Oh, not in your, okay, praise God. Right. They would have known in Malachi chapter 3, the word that says, and, and you, you don't need to go, well, you can. Why don't you just turn back, first, last book of the Old Testament, just before Matthew begins, in Malachi chapter 3. This curse, this there's something about a God curse that ought to make us really uncomfortable. Malachi chapter 3, there's going to be a 400 years of silence between Malachi's scripture writing and John the Baptist coming on the scene. The last part of this, he shares with the Jewish people at that time why they're about ready to have some judgment. He says in Malachi 3, and let's begin in verse 6, I am the Lord and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances and you have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, well, where shall we return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Speaking to the Jews. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. In other words, he didn't say tithes and offerings. He said, bring the tithes into the storehouse. Later he says, my temple. 
that there may be meat in my house, prove me now wherewith saith the Lord of hosts. If I'll not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that you shall not have room for to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground, neither shall your vine cast your fruits before in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So Malachi talks of a God curse that says, because you have taken my money and you have not blessed me, your whole nation has done this, you're under a curse. And that's why there's, a, there's not fruitfulness in your ground. And when the devourer, the enemy comes, remember John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, the devil's come to seek whom he may devour, right? In First Peter, he says, the devil's come to kill, steal, and destroy in John 10.10. 10. First Peter 5, he says, he's come to devour. The Lord says, if you're under the blessing of my ordinances and my covenant, then I shall bless you. And I will rebuke when he comes against you, your children, your finances, your job, your health. He puts up a standard. You may be in a storm, but you can stand there and say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a tither. I give offerings. You said you would rebuke the devourer for my sake. I'd like to see him get rebuked right now. And in Deuteronomy 28, he says, those who are in covenant with me. What is a covenant? It's an agreement. It's the ordinances. Those who are in covenant with me, I will bless them in their families, in their fruit, in their field, in their coming, and they're going. And in verse 7, he says, and when the enemy comes one way, he'll flee seven. I often pray, Lord, right now, I don't know the battle I'm in right now, but I'm telling you, I'm a tither and I'm a, I give offerings. And you said that if I'm a man in covenant with you, you would make this devil flee seven different ways. I'd like to see him start fleeing. Now, if you think, well, everything ought to be rosy, I should be so blessed. Well, you're going to have a fight. You're in war. We're going to cover this in, Revel in Revelation chapter 12 early on next week in uh, Matthew, in uh, the, the, scripture, the scriptures of, of our teaching on breaking free. There's Old Testament. Some of us, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. We've been told there's a greater covenant. Okay, good. Turn with me now to Matthew chapter 23. Red letter. Jesus. Dealing with, this is, again, another scripture like, I wouldn't preach it this way, Lord. He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, dead men's bones. Talk about motivation. Good Lord, God. Hypocrites. But he does give a hopeful place of truth here. Verse 23. Matthew 23, 23. And it's almost exact in Luke eleven forty-two. 42. Dr. Luke's account in chapter eleven forty-two. 42. If you're writing these down on the back of your outline, write down Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty-two, And Malachi 3, 6 through 11. You meditate on those. But here's what Jesus said. They, he, had, he addresses the religious leaders on their hypocrisy. Blind guides, he calls them in verse 16. I want to pull out verse 23 of Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you? Man, ooh. You teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites. What sorrow awaits you? You're very careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. But you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, faith. You should tithe, yes. But don't neglect the more important things. 
blind guides. You strain your water so you won't actually accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, you Pharisees, you hypocrites? You're careful to clean the outside of the cup, but inside you're filthy and full of greed, self-indulgence, you blind Pharisees. First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will be clean also. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but you're really dead man's bones in all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Whew. Oh, I told you this was going to be easy listening, right? In that context, I want you to now look at the back of this page. I told you, I've already repented. We, my wife and I have, um, it's, it's probably 32, 33 years we've now given tithes and offerings. So, um, but there was a season in my life when I came into the kingdom, I said, Lord, you can't mean tithe 10%, right? You can't mean that. And you certainly can't mean it on the gross. It must be on the, on the, it must be on the net, right? After they take out taxes and Medicaid, all that other stuff, right? And I, for a while, first we started out by, I, I tipped God, right? They passed the plate in a church I was at, and, and I'd give them, a, like, my great bellhop in the sky. You know, thanks, God. Here's five. Wow, this is a great week. Here's ten. And then I read the word and I got convicted. And I went to Christian Missionary Alliance Church and they were considering me to be an elder. And I said, man, I, that's scary. I started reading this word. And I said, I went to my wife and I said, we better do what this word says. You step into a position, especially in any form of leadership, you're going to need to devour, rebuke for your sake. And I'm not willing to risk you or the kids. And we started tithing. And that's been, I think it's something like 32 years. And offerings. I've been striving to make it more. Let me take a look at person number one. You're looking at the back there? Here's an assumption, and I want you to look at this because I think we've seen this. First of all, you know that if, uh, if you lie on your taxes and you get caught in an IRS audit, or you fail to pay your mortgage or pay your rent, you get evicted or you get a foreclosure, Right? Just that, that's the natural order of things. You sign contractually that that's what you do. You're a member and a citizen of the United States, and you pay your taxes. And if you, if you lie on that and you get caught, one way or another, you're going to get caught. Uh, it's just a matter of whether IRS knows it. And so the Lord knows it, right? If you don't pay. So, or I just saw yesterday in the paper, they were, they were locking a guy up for embezzlement. He had falsification on his travel records. So he was inflating his travel costs so he could pocket the money and they caught him on embezzlement. So that's a thief. You're, you're, you're a thief. If you do that, you're a thief. He says, no thief will inherit the kingdom of God. You say that, right? Right? No gossipers, no liars. This is in the last book in Revelation. You can look at it. No liars, no thief, no greedy ones, no adulterers shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's what he said, Right? So we can dress it up and say, well, Lord, you know, I, you can't dress that pig up. It's still a pig. Okay? So if the word of God I believe to be true, Malachi says you're under a curse 
Jesus said, pay your tithes and offerings. That's the baseline. You should have mercy and grace and all the other, but, you know, that's like baseline. So let's just say person number one makes $10,000 per year. Their tithe, you're looking at that? The tithe would be 10%, which would be $1,000. If you work for 30 years, as an assumption, you work for 30 years, $30,000 of that loaned money that God gave you as a steward, it came in your check, but that 10%, every 10 cents on his dollar that he put in your pocket was his 10 cents. That 30 years, you should have given back to God as a tithe $30,000, and you lived on and pocketed $270,000. That's person number one. Person number two, they make $100,000 a year. A tithe of 10% would be 10000 And if they work for 30 years, $300,000 is your loaned money from God to steward. It's gotten really quiet in here. You guys okay? I'm just, I'm just, I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm just, I'm speaking to right here. I'm not preaching something that I don't believe. I'm just telling you, I want you to be blessed. And I want you to stand. There's another scripture in Ezekiel that says, if you as a pastor or shepherd fails to tell the people the truth, the blood is on your head. But if you tell them the truth and they fail to follow it, the blood is on their head. I'm not trying to transfer the blood, but I am. <laughs> oh, okay. I, don't, I, I, I just want you to be free. And I'm not doing this out of fear and condemnation because there's a covenant that was shed by blood by him, all right? So if you look at this, for 30 years, that $30,000 a year, I'm sorry, $10,000 a year for 30 years, $300,000, person number two. That's loaned money God stewarded to you, to you to go, like the man who got either the five bags or the two bags, what did you do with my money? And the day that he calls you to give an account and you stand before him, it says, so, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And he says, my son and my servant, my daughter, come here. Now, he already knows everything, right? And if you've messed it up in the past, what's so great is he says in 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sin, he's faithful to forgive me from all unrighteousness. So you can start today and start the, Lord, I got to get this right. Now, of that $10,000 a year, you kept 90000 so you pocket and used $2.7 in your 30 years. And God said, I want to see now. When he returns, he says to the wicked and lazy servant, what would you do? So, well, I, I couldn't do anything with it. You see, I had my car payment. I, I needed furniture. Man, I'm so, I work really hard. I need a vacation. My rent, you know, I, I don't want to live in that part. I, I got to pay my rent. So there's no multiplication for the kingdom. Now the good and faithful servant, that person invested God's money. He went to House of Mercy. Gave to missions. This week we got our orphans $7 beds instead of sleeping on a mat on the floor in India. We bought 14 of them needed beds, so we were able to get them beds, cots for seven bucks a piece. Lifeline pregnancy. Cynthia Dare was here uh, this, this past fall. She said, thank you for your giving. I want you to know, I, we just did the financials for this past month. We are over 20% as a congregation. 
20% of everything that has come in, gross, has gone out. Plus the things that you have given as a designated fund. If you say, I'm giving to Mozambique, I'm giving to Nepal, I'm giving to India, I'm giving to House of Mercy, that money, but as a congregation, we have paid 10% of our tithe has gone out to those Christ-centered ministries, and another 10% has gone into offerings. We're, we're about 20.43%, I think is the number. So we're trying to be faithful. Everything that comes, this is not just about, I would love to pave the parking lot. I would. I mean, that, that gigantic hole that reminds me every time I drive out, I say, Lord Jesus, I, someday. But, Lord, I think it's more important that we plant some churches, that we, we help a baby be saved in, house, in uh, Cynthia Dare. When they do a, a, a scan of a, of a mama who's pregnant, and they counsel her, and they say, we can help you. You want to put the baby up for adoption? want to find a home? The numbers last year, there were, I, I think the number, it might have been the year before, over a dozen babies, they know for sure, mother was coming in to have an abortion, came to Lifeline Pregnancy, was counseled, and turned that around. Now, what's the value of one child's life? Come on, if that were your child, your grandchild, you tell me. So there's something, this is hy hypothetical, but in the bottom of that same page, because of the giving of that $300,000 that went, Let's just take an example. We have our children that have grown up in our orphanages. The, there's 111 of them in our, our four orphanages between Nepal, India, and uh, yeah, Nepal and India. And so they have grown up now. They're in Bible college, and now they're. We, I actually married one of them when I, my prior trip before last. I married them, and they are now marrying our pastors. So our girls that have grown up taking them out of sex trafficking and all the loss and brokenness, sent them to school, got them educated, sent them to Bible college in a, in a place where women are not allowed to normally be educated. And now they're, they're working on master's degrees right now in India, right? They are becoming the next generation of those who will be the evangelists that we can't do. Westerners probably can't go there. That nation is shutting down, closing down. But those, that investment there, they're going to lead, we're already seeing over 46,000 believers in Nepal. So just hypothetically, if that $300,000 that you worked for for 30 years that went into the kingdom to those places, or the six hands that got raised on Sunday, on Thursday morning in House of Mercy, that got saved, that then introduced, we had the mom sitting there, I watched her with her grandboys, I baptized them because that lady came in, was demonized and got set free. And now she then told her grandchildren, she's tough. She slaps them around. You listen to what this kid do. Listen. And man, they tell grandma, yes, ma'am. And so what happened? Those young men and women are being raised up. They're going to advance the kingdom. They're going to do the work. So this thing is, is an exponential growth of why. That's why God said, it'll be your blessing if you get a hold of this truth. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I believe it to be true. I've seen the multiplication of it. Now, does that mean we don't have struggles? No, good Lord. I know. I pray for you. People that are homeless. Yesterday, I was in a store and crisscrossed. There was a young man. He's not here. I invited him, but I won't use his name because I don't get permission, but I invited him to come. His dad had just died. He's, he's struggling with drugs. He was suicidal. I know that was a divine appointment. When that man gets set free, if he comes, I invited him to come to men's group tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, men. Be here tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, in the great room. So this is, this is a place where those, they come. 
And that, li that life turns around and all of us have at least 70 people that were influential in our life circle right now. When that kingdom advances in my life, in your life, and it advances and it exp exponentially, do you see the value of why? Jesus said, I want your money. He didn't want your money. He wants you to be blessed. All right, I only got a few minutes left. Turn back. I'll try to be a little nicer now. Turn with me to Genesis 24. Let me give you an Old Testament example of a, a servant, Eleazar, who I just, I wanted to use an, an Old Testament, New Testament. You know, Jesus in the New Testament, he just, he just raised the standard. In the Old Testament, he said, honor the Lord. In the New Testament, he said, love him with your whole heart. He said that it would be wicked for you to have adulterous relationships. In the New Testament, Jesus said, don't even look. Because if you look in lust, you've already done it in your heart. He said in the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do murder. In the New Testament, he said, if you call your brother a fool and you judge them, you're already guilty in hatred. John went on, John the Revelator. John said, if you hate a brother in your heart, how can you say the love of God is in you? So it just like the standard just got ramped up in the New Testament. Why? Because he gave us the Holy Spirit to walk this out, right? He gave us the power to do what he told us to do. He didn't say, do it, and I don't empower you. They couldn't do it in the Old Testament either. They didn't have the Holy Ghost. All right, here's Eleazar. I love this profile of him. Just there, Genesis 24. Keep your finger there and just turn back to Genesis 15. I want to pull one scripture to kind of emphasize how, what a wonderful servant Eleazar was. In Genesis 15, let's look at just verse 1. The Lord tells Abraham, remember he said, you're going to have children, you're going to be the father of many nations, and Abraham is old, 100 years old, Sarah's 90, no children. And he keeps telling him, you're going to have stars, like you have children, like, and he goes, yeah, well, basically Abraham calls God on it, right? He says, verse 2, Abraham replies, Sovereign Lord, now he's nice about it, but he says, what good are all your blessings? Wow, that's kind of wild. When I don't even have a son, since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, so he was probably a Syrian, a servant in my household will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own. No one of my servants. So one of my servants will become my heir. Okay, turn back to 24. So what he's saying is, God, I got, I got your promises, but in this custom and in this culture, my servant Eleazar is going to get all the money. God says, okay, watch this. Well, then he follows through. We hold that whole thing where Sarah laughs and she doesn't believe. The angels come. She gets pregnant. And Isaac's born. All the drama around Isaac and Hagar and Ishmael. And we'll jump right over that. In chapter 24, it says, Abraham was now a very old man. And the Lord blessed him in every way. And he said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh and swear to by the Lord, God of heaven and earth, you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to my homeland where my relatives and find a wife there for my son Isaac. Now Isaac is 40 years old and he's unmarried. That's unusual. And Rebecca is older, but she's still a virgin and she's not married. Now watch what happens. 
Servant said, but I can't, what if I can't find a young woman who's willing, see the free will, who's willing to travel so far from her home? Should I then take Isaac there and live among them? No, Abraham responds, be careful never to take my son there. The Lord of heaven has told me that my father's house took me there from there and promised this land to my descendants. His angel will go ahead of you and he will see. Now, I want you to see, angels are on assignment, but it still is a free will. Angels help orchestrate, take charge. Hebrews 1, sent as ministering spirits, but it still comes down to, what are you going to do? What am I going to do? So he says, angel will go before you and help to get this done. So the servant took an oath, verse 9, put his hand under Abraham's thigh, and then he loaded 10 camels, holy cow, with all kinds of expensive gifts. Terry and I were on a camel one time. You remember this in Israel, Terry? Terry and I sat on the same camel between the humps. I needed deliverance after that. But, <laughs> but I'm telling you, that's a, that's a crazy ride. We were on Jerusalem when that happened. That was, Omar the tent maker was there. Oh, my Lord, it was wild. I just thought of camels, 10 of them. Can you imagine? No wonder they had camel drivers. Okay, so he loads this thing down with gifts. And a servant takes the oath, goes out, carrying the expensive gifts. His master said, travel to the distant land. There you will meet Abraham's brother Nahor and settle there. He made his camels there, kneel down at the well just out of town. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, verse 12, he prays. Eleazar, he's a praying man. He prays, please give success today. Show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside the spring and the young women of the town, they're coming out to draw the water. This is my request. Notice this fleece. It's okay to ask God, am I on the right track here, God? I got journals like, please, God, if we're supposed to go here, tell me now. And if it's not, you know, okay. This is my request. I'm going to ask one of them, one of the young ladies coming out to draw water, give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, and I will also have that drink, and if I will water your camels too, if that servant girl says, I'll water the camels too, then I'll know that you selected her as Isaac's wife. Good Lord. Now, I guess, let me just make this point. One of the commentaries said, a camel who's thirsty will drink 25 gallons. 10 camels, that's 250 gallons of water. That's like, have you ever seen, right, Ken, Andrea, when they carry those buckets to your place every day, that's like, is it five gallons or less? Five gallons. Five gallons on their head. So here comes Rebecca. It's hot and it's sweaty. And it's like, here, have a drink. And let me take care of the 250 gallons. That's five, 50 gallons. Whoa. That's not easy work. Is what am I, that is not somebody that like, that's a servant's heart. Now you said, so that, that's a really good fleece. <laughs> I think I'd be a little nervous. How about just one camel? But anyway, okay, moving on. Faith, faith. Verse 15, before he had finished praying, the young woman named Rebecca came running out with water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Abraham's brother Nahor, and the wife of Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful, old enough to be married, but still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled the jug, came up, running over to her. The servant said, please give me a drink of water from the jug. Yes, my lord, she said. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered the jug from her shoulder, gave him a drink. When she had given him the drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they've had enough to drink. So quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and went back and forth to draw the water for the camels. The servant watched in silence, wondering, now, how long did that take? That took a while. He's sitting there sipping the cold water. She's working. Look what he does. Verse 23, I love this. Verse 22, then last, when the camels had finished drinking, finished, 
He took a gold ring from her nose. If, if you don't think that they had piercings then, I'm sorry they did. Okay. They take a, I don't have any, but praise God, I don't condemn those at mine. Anyway, so he has a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets. In fact, the King James gives you the amount of what it is as far as shekels. It's almost five ounces of gold. In today's market, that's $6,000. Okay, so just for doing that work with the 250 gallons of water, here's about $6,000 in today's market of gold. There's a ring for your nose, and I bet you the other servant girl said, hey, I can do camels too. <laughs> too late. Too late. You know, she didn't know she was going to get anything for that. I want you to see, using the value of the kingdom, the things you've been granted with, that's why Nepal, as a as point, after the earthquake in Nepal, when we shipped money over there, the whole thing about, and our guys started Sherpa carrying up into the mountains to the Hindus in the remote areas where the landslides had happened, and they wanted to know, why are you giving us rice, and why are you giving us tents, and why are you doing this? It says, our brothers and sisters in the United States who love Jesus needs, knew you needed help. You want to know why there's been conversion? of over 70 churches now in the last three, two and a half years, it's because of that. Using what has been given and using it well. So he, this is like, blesses this young lady, doesn't even know if she's who she is. Blesses her. Then the man of God bows low when he finds out she's the very descendant of the one he's looking for. Verse 28, the woman ran home to tell her family everything that happened. Rebecca, whose brother was named Laban, ran out. The guy, he probably, he says, he saw the ring in her nose and the bracelets. Holy moly, I'm getting out there to help this dude too. Um, maybe that's not his motive, but I'm just thinking. He said, it says he saw the bracelet and he saw that, right? He rushed out to the spring where the man was and said, come, stay with us. We're blessed. We're blessed of the Lord. Why are you standing here outside the town? We have a room for you. We have a place prepared for your camels. So the man went home with Laban, unloaded the camels, gave him straw, fed them, provided water for the man, gave his driver, camel drivers to wash their feet. The food was there until, now look at this, verse 34. I'm Abraham's servant. And I want to tell you why I'm here. My master is a wealthy man. The Lord has given him flocks, sheep, goats, herds, cattle, fortune, silver, gold, male and female servants and donkeys and camels. When Sarah, my husband's wife, was very old, she gave birth to the son, a master's son. He responded, the Lord, and this is verse 40, the Lord in whose presence I live will send an angel to make a way. Now let me paraphrase because paraphrase, we're getting late here. It says, He's going to give me success on the mission. Verse 45, it says, Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came. She did exactly as I had asked. She put, I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her wrist, and I bowed and worshiped God that my master's niece to be his son's wife would be my request. Now, it's interesting that the father, remember, this is arranged marriage. Our India leader was arranged, met his wife at the altar. They love each other, two boys, Danu and Janu. And uh, when you look at um, what's taking place, this is going to be an arranged marriage, but it's still Rebecca's choice. It says, in verse 51, it says, Here, Rebecca, take her and go. Let her be the wife of the master's son, as you have directed. Then they want him to stay 10 days, probably say goodbye to her. And he says, No, I need to leave right away. The next morning, get up. And he says, If that's so, let's ask Rebecca if she's okay with this. Rebecca would answer and said, I will go. So they called Rebecca, verse 57. They called Rebecca, are you willing to go with this man? 
Essie has asked. And she replied, yes, I will go. And they stood by there, and Rebecca went. And then the father of the family blesses her. Oh, our sister, you will become the mother. This is a prophetic word. The mother of many millions, and your descendants will be strong and conquer cities of the enemies. That's the fulfillment of the covenant promise to Abraham, now being prophesied by his brother and family. I want you to see, in the servanthood, look at the, t- the aspects. If just look at your outline for a minute, we'll be done. Look at what Eleazar did. One, he didn't get wound up about the fact that he's no longer got all the wealth of the family. He was still given the assignment. So even after Isaac's born, he follows through. He accepts this challenge, goes on a journey, looks for different alternatives, gets instruction, submits it to God, prays for guidance. Boy, this is, if you got a plan that you need God to reveal to us, this is really good stuff. Waits and watches. God, I'll do this, but I'd like to see you to see if that's what I'm doing. Is this the right thing, Lord? He was wise in the giving. And he allowed free will and the custom of the time to be part of the plan. And then he didn't delay, and he followed through. Let me end here by saying, I believe there's a higher call than just, well done, thou good and faithful servants. There is a friendship with God that he promises in John 15. John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Be really good to look at that one this week. He says, if you'll remain connected to me and you'll do as I say, it gets back to what other things you tell us to, say, to do, Lord. The Ten Commandments are relevant. The greater works are relevant. Jesus said these, you know, yeah, okay, do the minor things, but the more important things of love and justice and mercy, forgiveness. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't, you won't be. If you do as I say, He says he tells secrets from the Father to his friends. Then he says, go and be fruitful in the kingdom and love each other. He basically will become the friends of the Son. I believe that's where he's at us now. Why don't we stand right here? Let's just close your eyes for one minute. I just... I know this, this is a plumb line word. A few years ago, Kent came from Mozambique and preached about the plumb line. That's been on my heart the last few weeks. The Lord's dropping plumb lines in our lives to have us turn, shift, repent, seek Him. Things that have capped us out of His free purpose and will that wants us to be set free of those snares. But it comes down to free will choose this day whom you shall serve. So Lord, I pray that this word brings truth, would bring conviction that motivates, but not shame or guilt or condemnation. So anyone here, you know, many years ago I was right where they sat, and I don't remember the sermon exactly, but I got convicted and I changed. And I can honestly tell you that God has rebuked the devourer for my sake and for my family. Those things that should have killed, destroyed, taken us out, I believe the Lord delivered us. One day he'll pull back the veil and I'll see. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not selectively choose the word, that we would be the people of the word that apply it 
willingly to our own hearts. So, Lord, just like Rebecca had a choice, just like Eleazar, the servant, had a choice, God, I pray that we would choose, it would be clear that you'd illuminate the pathway. In fact, there's a scripture in, I just want to pray over us. It says, Psalm 37, 23, it says, If the Lord delights in a man's way, he makes his steps firm. God, I pray that we would carefully look at where our feet are stepping. Help us, empower us, Holy Spirit. We, we can't do this life without you. That's why he said in Luke 11, he said, if fathers can give evil gifts, how much more would the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We need the Holy Spirit to empower us. He goes on, he says, I, he's given us everything we need to live a godly life. So, Lord, I pray that you will equip us, empower us, refresh us, impart to us, Holy Spirit. And we give you thanks this morning, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. I want to invite our ministry team.